Hello, this is David. Hey, and this is Shiloh. And this is... History by the Century. All right, so Shiloh, what century are we talking about this time? Oh, man, where are we at, Dave? Are we... Are we in the fourth century already? Wow, we have come we, a long ways. Yes, we have first century, second century, third century, and now fourth century. So, so you know, just so I can make this clear in my brain, because sometimes it's confusing to me. Fourth century, we're talking from the years three hundred one to four hundred one. It's a hundred year span. Uh, it's it's the three hundreds, Dave. So. You know, for everyone out there, they're thinking to themselves, what went on in the 300s? What happened in the 300s common era? What, what are we looking forward to, Dave? What's going to happen? That's what I was wondering. You know, and I was hoping you could give us a little uh, roundabout. I know I'm going to start with Sharpur. You're gonna, and then what, what, else are, what else are we going to talk about? You're going to talk about Persia. We're going to talk about Constantine and Rome. I mean, how can you leave out Rome in the third or in the fourth century, right? The three hundreds, Rome. You gotta include them. We're gonna talk a little bit about China horse stirrups, stirrups, Dave. Right, stirrups. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and uh, we're even gonna go to Mesoamerica and some interesting facts about Christianity. So it's there's a lot of stuff going on. And yeah, in addition to Constantine, we're also going to talk about bizarro constantine as well oh which wow. most people don't know about but some people are big fans yeah and you know what i mean just just equating this to kind of wet people's appetites we we're going to talk about stuff like the forest gump of the of the fourth century we're going to talk about stuff like um uh there was there was some crazy stuff going on but uh there's all kinds of things even the beatles had a commentary on some historical moments from the fourth century dave Oh man, I can't wait because you know I love the Beatles. Oh, I know you love the Beatles. All right, so so let's kick it off. Um, just just to start off with, though, one thing that I really appreciated about this this episode was that we've gotten to a point now where it seems like today in our time that there's always new ideas coming up, and in a very short period of time, teachings and theories they can be totally scrapped and proved as false or debunked. You know, it, it, sometimes an idea or a, or a, a theory can be proven false in as little as 10 to 20 years. You know, you think about all the different scientific breakthroughs that have come and then just everything changes. But when we look at the things that we've studied so far in history, we looked at three centuries of history and some of the things that happened in these first three centuries of history influenced the world for 1000 years or more. So we think about today. Uh, scientists or uh, the medical community will come up with an idea and within a matter of years it's proved you know like there's something better but we're looking at a time period back in these first three or four centuries where the the teachings and the ideas they hold sway for a thousand years right dave yeah absolutely (laughs) sometimes longer (laughs) sometimes longer so you know we look at stuff like um we talked about ptolemy with saying he was a scientist from from the area around modern day egypt ptolemy he comes up with the idea that the earth is the center of the of our solar system and that was the predominant idea for a thousand years we talked about galen the physician and the four humors of the body and we're not talking about funny stuff we're talking about you know he thought that body fluids were the the fundamental uh principle with medicine and 
you know, he had some valid points, but, you know, a lot of his teachings were proved, you know, they improved on those. So his ideas held sway for nearly a thousand years in the medical community. And, you know, in the last episode, I really enjoyed talking about Diocletian. You made some really good points about how his government, his, his, his ideas about rulership, those things that he enacted and promoted affected history, we could say, for, you know, a thousand years or more. So, you know, we look back at those times and we think to ourselves, well, that was just, you know, the best they could do. They didn't know any better. We look at that time and think, you know, they were doing the best they could. But now we're going to talk about more influential people, especially in the fourth century. We're thinking about figures like Constantine and people look to him and say, wow, he he affected Christianity, he promoted Christianity, and how some of the things he did affected the whole world for, again, thousands of years. So it's, it's an exciting time that we're, we're studying right now. And for me, I'm having a good time talking about these things with a friend. You know, we're looking at how uh, all these things have affected us down to our time. And, and this podcast has been enjoyable for me because I'm talking about it with a friend who's competent in history. We talk about things we enjoy. We draw some comparisons, make a little jokes. And we have some time to laugh. And uh, Dave, I'd like to know what's going on in Persia. All right. So, you know, we have uh, Persia, uh, modern day Iran. Uh, it's It's gone by several names. Uh, you know, when we were going over the third century, it was Parthia. And now in the uh, fourth century, it's the Sassanids. But it's funny because like, I, you know, I love, love, love Roman history. And like, it's funny because you'll have one emperor and he goes over to Parthia and he fights Sharpur. And then you have like another emperor and he goes over and he fights Sharpur. And then, like, we're in the 4th century, and they're going over and they're fighting the Sassanids, and they're fighting Sharpur. And, you know, how old is this guy? Yeah, I was about to say, like, you know, is this guy, like, 150 years old? Man, what's the deal? Well, well, first off, there were three different Sharpurs, but Sharpur II is one of the longest reigning monarchs of all time. He doesn't have the world record, but he is one of the longest reigning. He reigned for 70 years. And he has a distinction. He was the youngest person ever crowned king. Wow. And so, do you know how old he was? Well, if he was the youngest person ever crowned king, I'm going with um, one month old. Think younger. It was... Okay, in the wo- in the womb, Dave. In the womb, he he was the only fetus that people <laughs> <laughs> bowed down before. So you know, as you know, there was a six, <laughs> there was a secession. <laughs> so it's just funny, people you know bowing down to a little baby fetus. But so you know, there was a secession, succession a crisis. S- wait a died. minute, hold on. Was there a was there a C section or a succession? It was a success. Fun fact: Julius Caesar probably wasn't born by C-section. Uh, that idea may have come later. The cesarean no one, section was actually no one listening to this has any. They're like they're going Caesar C-section. They don't. That no one's picking up on that. Sorry, I've got baby on the brain. But <laughs> so, just backing up a little bit. Um, 
C-section, it was actually a law that Augustus Caesar made that if a woman died in childbirth, they would perform a C-section or a cesarean section to save the baby. And they think that that's probably where they got the name. But then the idea that Julius Caesar was born by C-section was kind of a later invention, possibly. Well, thank you, Herodotus, for giving us a little digression back to the um, the first century uh, BCE. But now, right, let's, I'm like 500 years yeah. off. So, so back, back to the f- back to sharper. So, anyways, the king dies, and of course, you know, when there's a succession crisis, oftentimes, like what happens if you don't know who's going to be the next king? Everybody fights. Civil war. Right. Yeah. People die. And so, you know, his wife was pregnant. And so they're like, well, hey, why don't we just make this baby king? And then someone's like, hey, hold up, hold up. We can't. What if it's a girl? We can't. I mean, what would happen if we made a girl king? That's just I mean, that's not possible. We can't do that. So they go to the Magi and the Magi are like, yep, it's going to be a king. It's going to be a boy. Um and so, you know, 50-50 chance, they got it right. But the thing is, they actually made the baby king in utero. And this is the best part. They put the crown on the mother's belly. And so, I mean, like a lot of times people want to touch a pregnant woman's belly. But can you imagine just like this woman with walking around with a crown on her belly? It would have been awesome. Uh, but so, yeah, that was Sharpur. And he reigned for 70 years. And he was always fighting the Romans. And sometimes he won. Sometimes he lost. Uh, but yeah, that's him. So he was he was quite he was quite an adversary for the Romans too. And just real quick, you know, for me, Persia. I love the history of Persia, and Persia is even a Greek word to describe the people of that area. While even them, really, well, you know, while even themselves may not, you know, originally in that time frame, it was distinct for them. They they might not have referred to themselves. Kind of like how we give other names to New Yorkers today. Exactly. You know, so we think about looking <laughs> at them. If, if you're looking at that area from their point of view, I, I it always blows my mind. You know, if someone's listening to this and they, they're really into history, it always blows my mind that they, the people there of that time frame, you had the Achaemenid Empire and you have the Sassanid Empire, which we're talking about. And we, we always kind of divide that up. But Rome... You know, we we just call it all one big empire while there's a there's a really wide change or a very different change in dynasties and family lines. But Persia has been a major world political power for a long time. And even though we'll say, well, that was the rise of the Achaemenid Empire and now we're in the Sassanid time frame, you know, it's like, no, Persia has been around. And I think they, I, I want to just basically say Persia deserves a lot of credit just as much as the Romans deserve credit. You know, is that right? Is that okay to say that, Dave? No, you're wrong. The Romans deserve more okay. credit. Okay. What are we talking about <laughs> next again? What's next? So Shiloh, let's talk oh, about Rome. Can you, can you tell us a little we're, bit about, we're going yeah. to Constantine. If you're, so what you basically brought up, Dave, was the beginning of the fourth century. You know, we're talking the early part of the fourth century. And starting off in the early part of the fourth century, Constantine is in the limelight. He's the big star of the early part of the fourth century in the early 300s. He is um, hailed as emperor in Britannia. Dave, your home. Do, do you know what's? Oh, go ahead. Do you know what city in Britannia? Uh, hold on. It's 
it starts with an E. It's like aboricum. Is it aboricum? Am I right? I thought it was Dover. It's modern day York, aboricum, right? Am I wrong? Now we're going to have to edit all this out if we're wrong. Which one of us is right? If we edited out everything we said that was incorrect, <laughs> we, we wouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> Man. All right. Well, anyways, let's just go with the straight fact that what's, well, what's amazing is that Constantine's father was part of the Tetrarchy. We talked about that. Constantius the first. Yeah, we talked about that in the last episode or well, in our episode on the, uh, the third century. You know, got Diocletian, the Tetrarchy, the rule by four. Constantine's dad was a part of that. Constantine was, in a way, held hostage by Diocletian. He escaped. He went back to his dad in the in the area of Britannia. He was hailed as emperor when his father died, after his father was died. And that starts a domino effect of this megalomaniac Constantine. Is that right to say it? Call him that? He, he was quite a, uh, he was quite a uh, powerful guy, right? Yeah, you know, and some people call him Constantine the Great, right. and some people even call him Saint Constantine. Right. But I think calling him, you know, a megalomaniacal supervillain, you know, also works. Right, and you know that, and that's the thing about Constantine. And, and I have no opinion about him personally, as far as you know, good or bad. But he's hailed, or he's a polarizing figure in that some hail him as a saint, and some think of him as a horrible person. You know, yeah. I mean, he did a lot of really bad things in that he ordered the death of his own family. And, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff to talk about. But what we, we want to basically convey is that Constantine was a major figure in the early part of the 300s. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking about what's going on in history in the 300s, that really gives you a, a kind of a point of reference. 1,700 years ago... Constantine was was making decrees and deciding things that affect us down to our day. And that's why I like to refer to him as the Forrest Gump of the 4th century. Really? So life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going <laughs> to get with Constantine. Yeah. Um, so my question to you, Dave, is, is did Constantine really... You know, when we talk about all the things he did, people will make so they have so many different opinions on what did what he did and how it affects us. And and the question is, is did he really know? Did he know that the decisions he made were going to be so long lasting? Was he in the right place at the right time? All of that is is subject to so much uh, debate. But the fact of the matter is, if you just look up some of the things that he decreed, some of the laws he made in anything like an encyclopedia, for example, the Encyclopedia Britannica, you're going to find that he made a lot of decrees that affect us down to our day. Right, Dave? And yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And so this makes him like Forrest Gump because... Well, in my opinion, I don't think he really knew how far-reaching this was going to go. Forrest Gump was was going around investing in, you know, an, a fruit company that became Apple Computer, <laughs> right, or something. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, just doing little things, and, and all of a sudden it just turned into something bigger than what he originally intended. And that's what I think happened with Constantine. He did things that I think he thought were important at the time, and they just 
they exploded. They they went way bigger than he ever could have imagined or dreamed. That's that's kind of my two cents on the issue. First and foremost, let's go to the Battle of the Milvian Bridge. What happened, Dave? Oh man. Well, you know, I it's funny, like even looking this up, it seems like there's some some uh some different misconceptions about the Battle of the Milvian Bridge. Uh you know, well, but why don't you tell us about it? T- t- tell us the scoop. How does it go? Oh, well, you know, basically when Constantine's on his rampage to take over the Roman Empire, so it's, it's split up into the Tetrarchy. You got rule by four, and he's like, no, I don't think that's going to work. I want it all to myself. So he decides he's going to, you know, little by little go on his, um, his conquest. It was kind of like a basketball, like Final Four. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. It Excellent. Was, like I like what uh, Mike Duncan said. He, you know, Diocletian tried to set up rule by four, but really he was setting up a tournament bracket. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, excellent. <laughs> um, so Constantine he takes over for his father, and he goes over to take. He tries to go from Britannia to take over Rome, and he. That's where the Battle of the Milvian Bridge takes place is in in Rome. It's and I mean for for those of you listening, some people say that the Battle of the Milvian Bridge may be the most influential battle in all of human history. And you might be thinking like, wow, why, like, how is that possible? Especially like if you've maybe never even heard of it. Right. Oh yeah. Well, and because right then it was, it was really a political battle. It was who was going to be in charge at that time, but it led to, well, I'll let, I'll let you tell the story Shiloh. No. uh, I mean, the gist of it is, is that, Today, Christianity takes this battle, the Battle of the Milvian Bridge, as the point when Christianity triumphed over paganism. Am I right, Dave? Is that is that how you feel? Uh, yeah, that's what many people say about the Battle of the Milvian Bridge. And so why, Dave, do they feel that way? What, what did Constantine... I mean, we're talking way, way later in history. What was said happened before that battle, Dave? Well supposedly Constantine said that he saw something in the sky, some sort of a vision, possibly a flaming cross. And then at night he had a dream where he was, you know, under the impression that he should paint the Cairo on all of his shields. And Shiloh, do you know what the Cairo, is it the Cairo? Yeah, the Cairo, correct? Yeah. And that's, that's really tricky. So people that are listening are thinking, you know, there's that's that's kind of tricky, but the Cairo is just one variation of the cross. It's not the cross. And can I? Oh yeah, it's not the cross that. Oh it's yeah, it's not the cross that we're used to seeing today. It's a different variation, but there's the Cairo, and if you start to look it up, it's a very very early version of what would later become the cross that we know today. But it's and not the cross. It's not the cross that we're accustomed to. It's today. Yeah, and actually, it's the two Greek letters squished together. So what it is, is if you write Christ in Greek, it's Christos. And the two first letters are in Greek K and R, or Chi and Rho. So if you get K and R and squish them together, you got the Chi Rho symbol. It would be kind of like, if he were to put, if it was today, it would be like JC. It was like an abbreviation for Christ. Right. And so supposedly he painted them on all the shields and, you know, then he won the battle and that kind of led, well, why don't you tell the story, Shiloh? Yeah. And so 
with that in mind, Dave, something that has always been a subject uh, or a, a question is that was Constantine a Christian? At this point, this this story that you've just told us is related much later after this battle. So it's definitely... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and so some people think that maybe it was a fabrication after the fact because uh, shortly after this battle, a lot of times they would make triumphal arches to commemorate battles. And on this arch, which, which still exists today, there is no Cairo symbols. There's no crosses. And so there's kind of two theories about that. Uh, one is that, well, maybe Constantine knew that Christianity would be too uh, controversial. And so as a political move, he left it off because he didn't want to offend the pagans. Uh, and theory two was that he converted to Christianity much later in life. And so uh, he the he made up the story later and that's why those symbols were not on the Constantine's arch one of the questions that people have mentioned to me is was Constantine a Christian at this point did he believe in Christianity why did he pick Christianity later on and from everything that I've seen and studied is that Constantine did believe he did have a, um, a dedication to Christianity, but he also was dedicated to all the other pagan beliefs also. So he was, we could almost say he was uh, adding that to his diversity of beliefs. He had a diverse system of beliefs in various gods, and he added Christianity to that. But at this point in time, there is no way that he was a dedicated Christian. There was no way that he was actively reading uh, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, and applying that in his life. I mean, that's just clear and simple. It's, it's very obvious that he did things later on in life that were against what the Bible says. So was he a Christian? Uh, no, not technically. He wasn't even baptized. But did he want to believe in these things? It sounds like he did have a sense of belief in this system. And that's the best I can gather from Constantine's motives to promote Christianity, which leads us to the Edict of Milan. Dave, what happened at the Edict of Milan? People talk about that a lot. Well, the Edict of Milan was basically where uh, he made it legal to be Christian. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and also, too, just to give reference, we talked about Sharpur II and the Persian Empire growing early on in the 4th century, so early on in the 300s. The, uh, Constantine is hailed as an emperor early on in the 300s. The Battle of the Milvian Bridge takes place in 312, I believe, and the Edict of Milan is 313. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, how long is this podcast going to be? We're only at the year 313, the Edict of Milan. And what did that do? It basically gave Christians the ability, it, it recognized them, it, it, it stopped persecuting them, and it said, hey, you can own land, and there's some really good benefits if you're a Christian. Right, Dave? Something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So he, and so sometimes people think that uh, Constantine, you know, I think like, they think, oh, there was the Battle of the Milvian Bridge, and then he made Rome Christian. But really, 
He didn't do that. That didn't happen until the end of the 4th century, and it was actually a different emperor. Right. So you could look at, he kind of promoted it, but he didn't make it official. And that's where you kind of get the idea that, okay, he added this idea maybe to his belief system, but he wasn't a dedicated Christian. So that's kind of the gist of what's going on. But you know what? The 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 um, rumors, or I'm not saying the rumors, but the... the uh, aura of Constantine permeates throughout all history, right, Dave? And I'm, I want to go over the Forrest Gump aspects of it, like that there's things that he did that affect us today that if you Wikipedia or if you Google search Constantine, you're not going to find this. You got to look it through the cracks to find this. And this is where I would like to call it to attention to the spectrum of the influence of Forrest Gump, uh, Constantine. So we're gonna go in the yes. very, very minimal, <laughs> the, like the the most basic kind of form, the thing that he affected in our daily life, all the way into okay. something that I really am interested in on the on the high end of the spectrum, where it's like, and wow, I had no idea that he he had an influence in that. Right off the bat, maybe you didn't know, Dave, that yes. Constantine had an effect on us today, and the Beatles mentioned it. Wait. No way. Yeah. The Beatles were actually Roman historians, Dave. Did you know that? I don't think that's true, but please continue. I, can you help? Can <laughs> You know, you and me were in a band for a long time together, and maybe you can help me sing it, but I believe it goes something like, I ain't got nothing but love, babe. <laughs> Eight days a week. Do you remember that song, Eight Days a Week, from the Beatles, Dave? Oh, absolutely. It's a classic. It's a yeah. classic, Dave. But did you know that the Beatles were actually making a commentary on the Roman system, their Roman idea of the secular week, that they actually believed in an eight-day secular week? Wait a second. Really? Yeah. So No, wait. And, right. I know. So here's the thing. The, the Beatles were commenting, <laughs> I, I, I believe, I'm not quite positive, but I'm pretty sure uh, McCartney, you know, John and Paul were talking about the eight-day Roman secular week. And Constantine said, no, 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 wait a minute. Hold on. We are going to a seven-day week. And guess what? The seventh-day Sunday, Sunday is going to be holy. Sunday is dedicated to worship. Sunday. Sunday. So, oh, because because Constantine was really big into sun worship. Yes, and he actually was the one that made the decision to pick December 25th, I believe, as the actual day. Okay, that's it. I'm making oh. the decision. We are celebrating Christmas on December 25th. That's it. End of the story. So he that's one of those things where, looking back again to the Forrest Gump aspect, it's like he made a decision, and it's like, do you think he really knew how far-reaching that was going to be? Again, you know, the seven-day week is not something new. The Babel, you know, again, from the beginning of Genesis in the Bible describing the seven-day week, the Babylonians use a seven-day week. Constantine, he was pragmatic in his approach. He said, you know, this is there's there's too much variance here. We are sticking to a seven-day week. While, you know, Rome had used an eight-day week schedule, an eight-day secular week. But he was the one, I believe, in 321, if you uh, look up in the Encyclopedia Britannica, the origin of our modern week that we have today, and that's one of those things. Like I said, if you if you look up Constantine, you're not going to find this in the in the notes on him. You're going to look at all these massive things he accomplished. But one of the big things he did was 
he made a decree to establish a seven day week with Sunday as the holy day, as a as a holy. So day. you're, so you're saying before Constantine and the Roman Empire, they had an eight day week. Now, mind you, there was there was a lot of variance. They used different uh, different week schedules. You know, some some things were based on seven, some were based on eight. But he made a decree like, okay, we're all getting on the same page now. So that was the huh. big deal. Yeah. Well, that uh, is interesting. I, I, I did not know that, Shiloh. I I liked surprising you, and again, uh, going back to Constantine, well, we're talking mission accomplished. We're we're talking about <laughs> you know the three twenty one range when Constantine decrees that three twenty uh, in the three twenties, three twenty four, three twenty four area. He actually decides, you know what? And we haven't even touched on this. We're going to establish Constantinople, or we're going to choose the city of Byzantium as our new capital. Of the Roman Empire. Tell us about that day. Now, wait. Well, wait a second. So, Constantinople, what's the name of that today? It's Istanbul, Dave. So, you're telling the me city. So Istanbul, it's the city. So, Istanbul was Constantinople, but now it's Istanbul was Constantinople. Why did Constantinople get the works? Man, I, you tell me, Dave. Tell me. Uh, uh, that's That's nobody's business but the Turks. Wow, I fell right into that one, Davey. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that song, They Might Be Giants? That was a great song. You know what? I, I really encourage all our listeners to go back to um, 100 years ago and listen to that song, Dave. It was the 90s. That wasn't that long ago. I mean, okay. Yeah, so Const- yeah, so he made Const- I mean, Byz- Byzantium was a really, it, it was kind of like, uh, it was in the Dardanelles. Uh, it was kind of right in between... It was like the the it's kind of the crossroads of Europe and Asia, and it was a city that could be very well defended. You know, you had a river basically on you had water on three sides, so you can make a pretty awesome wall on the other side, and it's you know impossible to attack. And so he made that like his new capital, basically. And then later, you know, we talked about how the split kind of began with. Uh, Diocletian like between east and west but this was like really a thing like he he was really making like that was the new place like Rome is a backwater Constantinople is the new capital yeah and and also it was the first uh it was the first city built in the in the Roman Empire that was built with churches instead of pagan temples yeah I mean even today if you know, those that are listening, there's so much controversy going on right now with the Aga Sophia right now being changed into a mosque. But uh, that, you know, Constantine may have originated, obviously not the original Aga Sophia because there was some accidents and earthquakes and things that happened. But uh, he, he basically, like you said, he was founding a lot of these sites for Christianity. And so he was promoting Christianity. But now going to the other end of the spectrum, Dave, we talked about how he affected the work week and we have a seven-day work week. And if you really are really, really, really interested in this subject of the work week, um, we didn't even get a weekend until like the 1700s or something. So, you know, you don't get to thank Constantine for a, a weekend until way later. But on the other end of the spectrum, something that really interests me is the study of the Bible. And there's two Eusebiuses 
and it's really hard to keep track of them. You have Eusebius of Nicomedia and Eusebius of Caesarea. The point of it is, is <laughs> these two guys with the same name did a lot to promote Christianity. And Constantine said, hey, you know what would be a great idea is if we had some copies of the Bible. So he gave the commission to... And it's, it's a little difficult, but I believe he gave the commission to Eusebius of Caesarea in modern-day Israel. And anyone listening that knows better than me, c- that can correct me, please, please email us and tell us. But he gave the commission to make 50... I, oh, sorry. I'll post uh, Shiloh's personal email after the oh, show thank you. and his home address. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Uh, he gave the commission to make 50 copies of the Bible. And the reason I'm mentioning this is that the Codex Vaticanus and the Codex Sinaiticus are believed possibly to be two copies of these original 50 copies that Constantine commissioned. So why that's important is, is the Codex Vaticanus and the Codex Sinaiticus are the oldest original full copies of the Bible that list all the books that we normally would have in a Bible today. And they are the basis, especially for like things like the Westcott and Hort translation of the Greek scriptures. So if you have a Bible in your home, if you're reading a Bible and it's not the King James Bible uh, or the um, authorized Bible, I think is another name for it. If you're reading any of the other Bible other than that, it's probably thanks to Forrest Gump making sure huh. that that Bible was copied. So, you know, hey, another thing that Constantine did, do you think he thought in his, his mind, hey, all the um, the Bibles that people are going to pick up or a vast majority of the Bibles that people are going to pick up are going to be based on Bibles that I commissioned to be copies that I commissioned to be made. You know, it's just, uh, just something to keep in mind. You know, Codex Vaticanus obviously is held in the Vaticanus uh, in, in the Vatican Museum, Sinaiticus was found in uh, down in St. Catherine's, I believe, and now is had a wonderful history. If you want to research it, look up the Codex Sinaiticus from Russia to the British Museum. Interesting history. So, Dave, that's Constantine. Yes. Oh, wait, I'm, I have a few little things. Are you done with Constantine? Because I have a few Constantine thoughts I'd like to throw out there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was, okay. I was done with him, but tell me. Okay. Well, so I was just going to mention like why people would say like, you know, they think, was he sincerely a Christian or was he faking it? Oh, right. Yeah. And you, you might be wondering like, why would it be advantageous for him to fake it? Oh, like, okay, yeah. the, and so it's been said that if he wasn't like, if he truly was, like he did believe in Christianity, it was incredibly fortuitous for him politically. And the reason was, is, you know, there was four emperors, and he was trying to become the main guy, the head honcho. And so he realized that his opposers, the you know, at least one of the other emperors, was very anti-Christian. And he was persecuting the Christians. And um, the thing is, the guy he was fighting against most of the people in his district were Christian. And so for Constantine to promote Christianity, it was almost like he was creating a fifth column uh, in the other guy's district. Whoa. And so you just, you just use the term, you just use the term fifth column. Yeah. Wow. Better than a fourth column. Um, so 
Wow, that's 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 deep, bro. If people if people listen to this or hearing that, they're going, "What is a fifth column, Dave?" And you know, that is a question that I will have to Google and maybe <laughs> <laughs> No, but but no, he was he was no, what you're making is a really great point is that he was creating a a resistance inside of a of an adversary. Yeah, and so like for example, he he made he basically made um uh, an alliance with Licinius, who was another one of the uh emperors, and Licinius did the same thing. He promoted Christianity and he persecuted the pagans. But then later w- uh you know, when it was down to the the lightning round where it was like Licinius versus um Constantine, you know, Licinius flip-flopped and he persecuted the Christians. So it seems like he wasn't necessarily um, sincere. And also another reason people think that is because Constantine like did not get baptized until his deathbed. Right. Um, and which is kind of a big deal. Cause like when you think about it, things like we didn't even get into the, uh, the, the, uh, council of Nicaea, but he, he was kind of like, you know, he got all the bishops together to settle the issue of, you know, whether or not God and Jesus were the same person. And the whole time he's, he wasn't presiding over it technically, but he was kind of sitting in the background, you know, making sure he was there, not baptized, making sure that everybody agreed on whatever it was. It kind of seemed like he didn't uh, care what the truth was. He just wanted everybody to agree uh, on, on something. And he, you know, he was not a baptized Christian. And so that's another way that Constantine affected people today. If it, you know, today, people that believe in the Trinity, that's because of Constantine, uh, because they got together at the Council of Nicaea, because before this, there was, you know, many, many different sects by this point uh, in Christianity. Um, and uh, I've been listening to uh, Gibbon's The uh, uh, Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, and I've, I finally got to the fourth century, and I'm I'm about like halfway through right now. And I was thinking, like, man, I must be getting close to the end. It's got 99 hours left. It's really long. But um, so, uh, but Gibbon, I've, I noticed that Gibbon makes a distinction once he gets to the 4th century and with Constantine. Uh, before this, he refers to uh, Christianity as Christians and Christ, uh, Christianity. But once he gets to this point, he starts referring to them as uh, Catholics. Right, and, and Catholic meaning, what's that uh, word actually mean, Dave? universal perfect right man you're making some really good points about this situation yeah because people have always questioned whether constantine used christianity as a forum to promote um like propaganda his ideas yeah because he kind of it kind of seemed like he may have been trying to unite the empire under one religion and that wasn't that uh, wasn't a new idea right dave we've seen that in yeah because they tried to yeah, like Aurelian tried to do that with sun worship, and what's interesting is Constantine was really into sun worship before he, you know, quote-unquote became Christian. That's why, like, even if you look at coins, a lot of them uh, have things to do with sun worship on them. And so, Shiloh, do you know the two competing theories about why Constantine was baptized on his deathbed? I I do. I have heard a few of those, but I really wanted to mention what you just said about the coinage. Because oh really? Someone, Man, we, some, someone we haven't gotten to talk about currency yet. Let's let's do it. 
Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> people that are listening to it's this n- are better strap in because this is going to be a long episode. This is this is like, we're only in the Constantine. We're in the 320s. We, we haven't even gotten into beef jerky yet. <laughs> wow. Was, was he a ruler of the Roman Empire after Constantine? Beef jerky? Beef jerky? That was never a ruler of the uh, Roman Empire. Oh, but you'll, you'll okay. see. You, you got you to wait to get to oh, it. So, okay. Okay. Um, but no, yeah, no I, just, I just wanted to emphasize the fact that, you know, to, to someone listening... You know, kind of expand their horizons and realizing how government plays a, a role in that propaganda in that con- it, it's just a fact of the matter. You know, no one can deny that Constantine was promoting a certain agenda and the coinage and money. And a lot of times people don't realize that, you know, right now we're not using money as much. Maybe you're, you know, we're using more like plastic money, you know, we're charging stuff on our credit card. But Money is really a strong form of propaganda to promote ideas, leaders, things like that. So when you see Constantine and his ideas on the coinage with the different gods and things like that, like you said, he was, he had, um, he worshipped, he was a, he was a, a fan, to say the least, of the sun god. It's uh, it's a way of promoting that. It's a form of propaganda. So money really is something that we all have that promotes an agenda of the government, right, Dave? Yeah, yeah. Every time I uh, swipe a visa, I think yay visa. <laughs> <laughs> yay visa. But no, you know, back in I the day, saying, back in like, the day when we used to use, you know, ones and fives and tens. That's all I ever had. I never got past it. Yeah. Past the well, and it. it 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 was almost like a way of having it was a way of projecting power because when you wanted to pay for something you had to look at the face right. of the guy who was ruling right. and so it was like a constant reminder oh yeah this guy's in charge right. and i'm going to pay for stuff with his face right and that same thing with sharpur if you look at it, and that's one of the most amazing things the sharpur the second that you mentioned earlier on there's coinage from Sharpur that's promoting him as the god as the main guy that you need to and you could take it and Pay for stuff at Sharpur Image. Wow. You know, I'm at a loss. We're going to need to edit that because there's too much laughing on your end. Anyways, yeah, Sharpur Image. uh, Sharpur, Constantine, they all uh, had a part in this propaganda use of money so go finish up with uh so the uh the the two uh competing theories of why he got baptized on his deathbed was one that it was kind of all a show he was you know he didn't believe in it it was politically advantageous and hey we're gonna you know knock this out because that's what you do uh theory two is the you get one get out of so theory two is that he was a true believer but he also believed that baptism was a get-out-of-jail-free card. So some people think that he thought, with his baptism, he you know he could do whatever he wanted as long as he got baptized. And so Constantine knew he wanted to do a lot of bad stuff. And if he got baptized early on, he couldn't do that bad stuff anymore. So the thought was, do all the bad stuff, wait till the last second, and get baptized. Uh, because he did do a lot of bad stuff. Like, I was just going to throw out there, for instance, Shiloh, do you know the name of Constantine's? He may have had more, but uh, Constantine's four children? Or maybe five children? 
Yeah, I, I do. There were a lot of them were named after him, but I do really like how you asked me if I did you knew. Well, did you did you knew? Did you did, did you, you knew? <laughs> yes, and you know, uh, Im, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he have his wife and his first child murdered because of some? Um, yeah. Thoughts so that's what I was going to get into. Um, so Constantine, get this. Uh, he named the city after himself Constantinople, all right? Um, his kids were named... Okay, so he had a sister named uh, Constantia. He, his kids were named Constantine II, Constance, Constantius, Constantina, and Crispus. He killed Crispus. Uh but, you know, and that's the thing, like, he killed a lot of his family. Like, I was trying to make a list, like, uh, Constantine killed his wife, he killed his son, he killed his father-in-law, Maximian, that was at the Battle of the Milvian Bridge. You know, he was fighting his father-in-law at that battle. Uh, he killed his brother-in-law, Maxentius, uh, and Maxentius's sons, who were his nephews, and a good chunk of his wife's, uh, Fa uh, Fausta's family. So, I mean, like, you wouldn't want to go to a family reunion with this guy. Uh, I mean, he really... And, like, with, with Crispus, he's... I don't know if you realize this, but Crispus is kind of one of the great what-ifs of the Roman Empire uh, because Crispus was actually... He was his first son, and he was really good at being a leader. Like, he was good at the civil uh, leadership side. He was good at the military leadership side. But he kind of made the mistake that some Roman politicians make. And, and Shia, like, in Roman... Uh, politics what's the only thing worse than being really bad at your job being really good at your job yeah and that's basically it he was so good at his job that uh his stepmother fausta was jealous and uh in in rome they have a lot of like wicked stepmother tropes like uh so it may not have exactly happened this way but supposedly she said that there was a conspiracy Crispus is trying to kill you, so Constantine had him killed. And then they're like, hey, no, Fausta made that up, and so he had Fausta killed. But he really had a lot of his family killed. And, uh, you know, it seemed like back then, like, being related to the emperor, it was kind of like Indian food. Like, I, I mean... You it, know what, Dave, could you clarify that for me? It, it could be either really good or really bad, and there is no in-between. Wow. Like, if you, if you were related to the emperor, like, you know, you could have these good appointments, you could be rich, but, you know, if you made him mad, he was going to kill you. And, like, if somebody else became emperor, they were going to kill you. So it seemed like it could be, like Indian food, really good or really bad. There is no in-between. Wow. And so I have another question. So he named his kids after himself, all right? Uh, Constantius, Constance... Constantina, Constantine II. So Shiloh, this is my would you rather question of the episode. So let's say you had four kids, okay? Like, boom, four kids. They could be boys, they could be girls. Would you rather name them all after yourself or some derivation of Shiloh or let a complete stranger name them? Oh, man, I'd be naming them after myself. Shiloh. <laughs> Shilito, Shilocinio, Shilo, Watto, 
Yeah, there would be all kinds of yeah, man. No, totally, I'd be naming those kids. I'm, that's actually what I was gonna name. Did haven't you heard my names from my kids? No, no, but uh, no, the, we're gonna I, I we're gonna ta- we're now. gonna talk about it later. But so Dave, okay, sorry. So we've we just we just we uh, we ran Constantine into the ground. So we're moving on done. to he's into the ground. Yeah. So let's Constantine died. So we're gonna go on to my let's, next section. Let's, let's I'm take sorry. A, let's take a pause right now. Uh, if you're wondering, our little break uh, ended up being a bit longer than we expected. It was about six weeks. Uh, but the good news is we've recorded a whole nother episode, and I'm going to get that out in the next week or two. And we're going to talk about some of the things that we mentioned talking about in the intro. So things like the Huns, uh, Mesoamerica, uh, Japan, the year 378, uh, horse stirrups. Uh, we're also going to talk about Bizarro Constantine and the worst beef jerky in the world. Um, so if you want to see some pictures of some of the things that we talked about uh, in this episode, like what a Cairo actually looks like, uh, I'm going to post uh, some pictures um, on my Instagram, at History by the Century. Uh, also, if you could hit the subscribe button on your podcast app, that would be awesome. Thank you for listening. <laughs> 